0: Hey, everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the Epic Narrative. What would welcome back, everybody, to the Epic Narrative. Absolutely having a ball doing this. The book of Exodus is just chock full of opportunities for us to reimagine God being good. And it's not an imagination that you have to be like Pollyanna, uh, you know, pie in the sky. Has anybody actually seen the movie Pollyanna? I did. Like, it's an old Disney movie. It's probably locked away in a vault now because there'd be so much protests. Oh, man. It would, Yeah. But anyways, Pollyanna was, was a movie <laughs> about a little girl who just wouldn't be negative. She was very, her and her name was Pollyanna. And that became the phrase. To be Pollyanna meant you just weren't going to be negative. And her perspective always seemed to win out. Even though all the adults knew better, somehow the way Pollyanna would view things turned out to be the way it should have been viewed. So anyway, I hope all of you are incredibly Pollyanna when it comes to your view of God, that every time you look at him, he just gets better and better and better. And even when circumstances try to change your mind, you're able to look at it and say, no, there's just no way God's doing this to me. There's no way that this negative circumstance is God judgment on me. Because that doesn't happen now I might be reaping what I sow. absolutely yes, yeah, that's true because he is he is a god of freedom and you are free to reap what you sow and and the enemy may attack you because you allowed opportunity for him to get in there and uh, yeah, that can happen. but God's goodness is still going to be there because you can't do anything to, to separate yourself from his goodness and his love and oh, it's just so Pollyanna. <laughs> but, you know what, sometimes, sometimes when God is doing amazing things in your life, even if you don't necessarily recognize it all the time, there are people that are watching you, and sometimes the people that watch you the most are your family members. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I, I know I'm right. I know I am, right? There have been many times that family members... Have called me out on inconsistencies because my job was in quote ministry. I was a pastor. Bob. Bob, how can you're a pastor? Yeah, I would hear that. I'm not gonna say which who, it doesn't matter. Family members keep a close eye on you. And when you when when they think that you think that you might be better than they are or more connected to God, or more loved by God than they are, it can, be a, it can be a bit contentious. You know, you show up at a family gathering of some sort, and they're watching you. They're like, mm-hmm, let's just see. Let's just see. Let's see if they dance to that music. Let's see if they know the words to that lyric, What to, to that song, the lyrics to that song. I know I just repeated myself, the words to the lyric. They are the same thing. I know, I know. I miss spook. It, it's it's fascinating to me. It truly is, and I, uh, I I remember trying, you know, to make everyone happy, but that came out of another lie that I believed. Right, I believed at that time, especially early on in my ministry, I believed that God was a God who could get angry with me and bring quote the the hammer. You know, he could bring the hammer. So I was very much in a fear of man, uh, you know, a big, big man, little, you know, or big God and a big fear of man, basically. So if if I was seen as inconsistent or hypocritical, I had to straighten my life out right away. I had to get it, get it right. Or you might be getting gone because God would come after you, you know, or the people would. So everybody had to be happy. I had to make everybody happy. And I was, you know, whatever, I was a youth pastor or camp director or program director or events coordinator or family life pastor, all those things. I had to be careful, had to be careful. Not because God told me to, but because man did. Man told me God was going to come after me. And there was, quote, evidence in the Bible for it too. So uh, as we work our way through Exodus, we are working our way through those lies. We're also, uh, you know, doing our own internal work. Not only do I believe those lies, but do I you know, do I fear man over, over God and what God says? Because God said he loves me. God said he'll never separate from me. God said he's good all the time. So am I going to believe man or believe God? God says I have purpose. God says I have destiny. God says I have identity as a child of, of his, as a prince of a king. Am I going to believe what he says or am I going to believe what man says? It really does start to mess with your head. It really does. And it, it definitely impacts your behavior. And there's lots of people who have adjusted their behavior because, well, somebody said, and oftentimes that somebody's a preacher, because we are really good at it, or a teacher, because we're really good at it. And we we want people to behave a certain way in our in our presence, in our classroom, in our churches, in our in our in our homes, in our cars. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we we bring about this, and we feed the lie that God's out to get us if we misbehave. So, anyways, family. Sorry, I thought we went down a road I wasn't planning on going down. I have no idea how to close it off. So we're just gonna flip back to the flip back to the story. So family members are watching, and the Hebrews, of course, are being watched. Right? Traders, merchants, shepherds, other nations. They've heard these stories, right? This has happened over multiple months in the land of Egypt. And now they're out in the wilderness. And they're asking these questions, you know, is it true? Is there really a pillar of fire at night? Is there really a pillar of cloud by day? Did Egypt seriously you know basically wipe out their entire army trying to chase these guys like how does that happen i mean that's scary right if if you're another nation there's two ways you look at this either don't mess with israel or they may you you you're probably going to die or you look at it and you go this could be bad we should wipe them out before they get any closer they have, they have uh, you know, this nation is on the move. They have no perimeter uh, defenses. They have no standing army, although they do have some that evidently have warrior experience or military uh, capabilities. You know, they can hold a spear or shoot an arrow. And maybe they're developing those over the last couple of months under the under the leadership of Moses and Joshua they they're trying to put things together cuz they they feel exposed but as an outside nation looking in you're like wait a minute these people are loaded down with riches because the egyptians gave them so much stuff and then they they go on and they say well they've got flocks they've got donkeys They've got carts full of things. And then you hear that they crossed the Red Sea without boats. How do you explain that? All of these people crossed the Red Sea without boats, and the Egyptian army never came out. They, they never made it back. That's, that's crazy. So, yeah, they're being observed. They're being watched. Rumors are being spread. Some of them are legendary. Some of them are true. Some of them... Some of them are maybe enhanced a little bit by merchants who want to be noticed, and you know they want somebody to buy them a drink or whatever. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I saw something nobody else has seen. I've, I've seen it, and it's all connected to this God, this God that they worship. That doesn't come in a form of an idol. They don't have idols. Now, I'm not saying nobody there has idols. I'm, I'm, and and trust me, I know the history of Israel. And yes, they do get mixed up into all kinds of idol worship but currently there's pretty good odds that no one there actually has an idol with them. they definitely don't have any sort of temples or, or Asherah poles or or any sort of totem poles that they're that they're attributing any of their success to any other God except this God Yahweh. They only worship him they only sing songs to him and yet they you know they, they seem to have everything. The, the, everybody else worships 15 different gods to get 15 different things. They seem to have everything worshiping one God. This is bizarre. They're immigrants. And and rumor has it they're trying to return to the land of their forefather Abraham after 400 years. But they don't own the land and they never did. So if you were a nation and you were in charge of leading that nation... Would you feel threatened? Would you feel curious? Would you feel jealous? <laughs> Would you want to reach out and maybe have a conversation with Moses, maybe set up some sort of terms of agreement so that Moses doesn't throw his God at your nation? When, If, if you were in the land of Canaan and you heard that they were coming back to that land would you want to negotiate some sort of uh contract maybe not a covenant but some sort of contract that says listen you guys can come you can you know settle in this part of the country have at it you know just please don't bring the plagues please don't bring like whatever whatever that was that split the red sea like we don't Please don't tell the the tower of fire to come down on us at night and burn us all. Like there's there's all kinds of ways to either that that, that you would be curious and threatened and jealous and and uh, your response to all this is really you know gonna be an interesting choice. Now what if you're a nation and you're related? What if? What if you're an Amalekite? That's what we learned there in verse eight. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites in Rephidim. Now, if you remember, this was the land where they didn't have any water. So they're they're out here by a by a brand new river flowing out of a mountain where there were no rivers. So they they decide to come after them. Well, who are the Amalekites? Well, they're related, right? And maybe they feel pushed aside by the same God that they claim. Like, why why didn't Yahweh choose them? I mean, we have a nation. We have land. We have a leader. We have an army. What made these Israelites so so, um, attractive to Yahweh? This is Esau's family, or at least his family line, and they've been watching. And somewhere in here, they decide to attack. Now, the, the suddenness of the writing makes it seem like it was an ambush. They decided to attack their cousins. They decided to plunder a nation, maybe with the idea that this is reparations. You, you owe us for what you did to our relatives 400 years ago when Jacob came back from from his from his uncle Laban and he wouldn't he wouldn't side with Esau he didn't uh, you know connect with Esau he didn't align himself with the with the true leader of the family the firstborn son like there's all kinds of ways that the Amalekites could have painted themselves as as a lesser than when they shouldn't have been, that this was something that was being done to them by God, and they needed to take advantage of it. They needed to step forward. They needed to control their destiny. They are trying to get what they think is owed them by their relatives and by God. They're from Esau's line, through the concubine, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is they're cousins. So they come and attack. Like I said, it's written as though it's an ambush, but most likely it was one of those things where they showed up for battle, but they didn't send any emissaries for conversation. They didn't say, hey, uh, we're thinking about attacking you, but we don't have to attack you. If you don't want us to attack you, we can you know, make arrangements. You can pay us you can pay us tribute. You can uh, pay for passage. We'll, we'll provide safety for you. We'll even let our armies you know, uh, guard you from being attacked by others. Clearly, you are ill-prepared. You have all these riches. You, you are camping alongside a river that didn't exist, whatever, two days ago. <laughs> it's, whatever. Like, there was probably no conversation about peace. They just kind of showed up ready for battle. Now it says, Moses says to Joshua, choose some men, some of our men, go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, this is this is pretty awesome. This is awesome on a lot of levels, right? Moses goes to Joshua. Now, Moses delegates the troop leadership to Joshua when Moses had better qualifications and more experience to lead the people into battle. He was a general in the Egyptian army. And he's allowing a young man to lead the the army. Not only just lead it, he says, he says, I want you to choose your people out of our our men. He goes, I'm going to stand on a hill. In other words, I'm just going to watch what happens tomorrow. I'm going to bring with me the staff of God. This is really awesome because, because he didn't go to God and say, hey, uh, what should I do? He's starting to see a pattern. He's, he's, it's good for him to have this staff with him, whatever he's doing, that God really will have his back regardless of what they choose to do. So Moses says, listen, choose, choose your army. I'm going to go stand on the hill tomorrow with the staff of God. I've got your back. I'm going to give you covering. Now, there's a lot of opportunity to learn about leadership in this role, and there's a lot of church leaders that would have never done this, never. They would have never looked at a battle. Now, this is a serious life and death situation. This is this is a, not only like a reality for men and women to possibly be taken captive again, to lose all of the wealth of the nation, to... Um, to lose the reputation, quote the reputation of God, the reputation of you as a leader. Like Moses laid it all on the line and just said, "You know what Joshua? You're younger than I am. You have more energy than I do. I have wisdom, I have oversight. You can go handle this." Now, lots of church leaders would, you know, will delegate lower-end jobs, right? With little attention uh no real covering if they fail and if they fail you know the pastor will say like well i uh, i'll go talk to the young man he just you know he didn't quite know what he was doing oh ha, 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 ha. you know i remember when i was young and i uh, i felt the same way you know they're just a little whatever and uh, i'll i'll take care of it right they can come in they swoop in later not as not as a support system not as a covering but as a disciplinarian quote i will i will mentor this this is a you know a mentoring opportunity i will spend some time with the young man and let him know all the things he did wrong i mean it's really kind of crazy it's crazy but it's that's the way that they lead moses in this instant didn't do that it's fascinating because this is an opportunity to to continue to solidify himself as a leader of the people he could lead the nation into battle And he could win the battle with the power of the Lord, and everybody would say, Wow, you are amazing! Wow, you are somebody we can believe in. Wow, you are somebody we can follow. Wow, Moses is a you know, is everything we have ever wanted in a king and in a master and in a leader, and he connects us to God, yada yada, yada. The same thing so many pastors want, right? They want, I want. I want people who are loyal to me. I want people who will support me. I want somebody who's who's always going to be there. And then if somebody here if you hear something negative about me, then you as the underling need to stand in the way and take that shot because you need to protect my reputation. You need to protect the perception that people have of me. You need to make me seem like I'm the good guy. And and you know whatever like you you know what i'm talking about those kind of leaders there's a lot of pastors that are this way and moses wasn't this is amazing to me this is amazing pick your own army your people your judgment i'm going to trust you on this i'm going to stay connected with god i'm going to stay as a, in a place of oversight i'm going to give opportunity for help if you need it i'll be watching but i'm also going to be there. and if the whole thing goes south, i'll i'll be there. i'm going to cover you. this is this is pretty spectacular. as a leadership as a leadership quality in moses, tremendous humility to do this. it really really is. i i i stand here, you know, before the microphone alone in my little bedroom and i think i don't i don't know if i don't know many leaders who could do this. There's plenty of leaders who would throw underlings into a fire pit and be like, uh, yeah, you know, go for it. And then when they failed, they would be the first ones to call them into the office and say, let's go over all the ways that you need to apologize. Let's go over all the ways that you offended others because of what you said or how you did that or the, the per, you know, whatever, what you preached like there's all kinds of ways, or they or they so control it that they would have brought Joshua in and said, "Listen, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you lead this, but here's the list of people I want on you know in the army, and this is the way uh, I've drawn you know I've drawn up the defensive plan, the offensive plan. I want you to run it exactly the way I'm telling you, because I know how to run an army. I've run armies before." Have you ever, I don't think you've ever run. This is your first this is your first battle, right? Oh, well, yeah, definitely you need to listen to me. Do you understand that? I'm mentoring you. It's because I love you that I want to control you. And why do they behave that way? Because it's exactly the way they believe God behaves. I love you, therefore I want to control you. And that's not the way God behaves. And we've covered that many, many times. All right. So, uh, verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hand in the air, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took up a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Moses and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of the Amalekite from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, he said, because the hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, and the Lord... We'll be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. All right. Well, clearly, we have some issues here we have to work through here on those last few verses, but let's get through <laughs> let's get through the battle. Moses is on the hill and and he lifts his arms again, signifying covering. There's something about lifting his arms that for him was a form of worship and connection to God, and and he wanted Joshua to be able to see that he was being covered. Again, a beautiful thing of humble leadership. Moses, uh, Moses is saying to Joshua, not verbally, not through a loudspeaker, not through some form of whatever public uh, announcement. He's standing on a hill covering Joshua, I don't know where all the public is at this point. I really don't. I don't know how far away they are. I don't know if they're allowed, you know, to get close to the battlefield. Uh, a lot of times nations would do that when they go to war. There would there would be the encampment, but everybody knew where the encampment was, so they would kind of kind of observe. They wanted to see if they would win the battle. I would want to see. I'd want to be close enough to see what's going on for sure. For sure. So I think that they're close. They're watching Moses. Moses raises his arms and And I don't know how long you can raise your hands. I I really don't. But he notices this this pattern. When my hands are up, when the rod of, of heaven is over the top, when the banner of the Lord is being held, we're winning. When my hands get tired and they start to drop, it seems like the Amalekites start to win. Now, listen, I don't know why the Amalekites are at war. Like I said, there's many many things there were they threatened were they curious were they jealous did they want reparations there also could have been politics involved they the, the malachite leadership could have said listen there's nothing like a you know like a like a good battle to get rich off of right so many governments go to war because it's a way to channel money into the coffers of the of the government it, it's not just the United States. It happened. I mean, England used to do that. Spain did that back in the day, right? Anytime there was a battle, everybody had to give more money to the to the uh, crown because they they were paying the you know the army, and they were they had to whatever. Like there was I don't need to go into that history. I, I, a ton of it just went into my brain, and I was like, no, 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 Bob, stick with the story. So I don't know what the Amalekites' motive was. But once the battle started, they were motivated to win. They weren't, they weren't just trying to do enough damage to cause a conversation and maybe a contract of peace to come out. They wanted to win. So when the arms came down, they, they had the momentum. When the arms went up, the momentum shifted to the Israelites. This was something that was observable to Moses. Now, Moses is is on this hill with two of his closest advisors, his brother and another uh, Levite called Hur, you know, an elder in the land. And he says, like, they're observing this as well. And I'm sure that there's a conversation that occurs. I'm sure Moses has his hands up when the battle starts. Joshua starts to run it's like yeah here we go arms up in the air maybe staff between his hands like a like a banner or a bridge Joshua goes and he's watching and his hands are up and it's just it's just easy to stay up because he's kind of cheering them on and then his arms kind of get tired and and it drops or maybe he leans on his staff and and now the battle starts to turn and 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 so he Whatever, for whatever reason, he does it again, and he can see the momentum shift, and that happens. I don't know, two, three times, and then, and then he probably looks at Aaron and goes, "Are you seeing this, brother? I mean, am I imagining what's going on? This is, this is right." And Aaron's like, "Absolutely, this is what's going on." There's something about worshiping the Lord that that frees our troops into greater battle. Now, there's there's something to observe, right? That worship. Raising up the banner of the Lord releases more uh, power and authority to to uh, uh, battle the enemy. Man, that was a tough word to come up with, right? I don't know what what happened there. I was that was a flashback to the days when I used to stutter, which was early on in my childhood. Uh, I don't know. It was I like probably through? age eight or nine before I really slowed slowed down enough to not stutter. That's really what I had to learn to do. But you know, my brain just goes so far in front of my my mouth that I get all discombobulated when by the time it hits my hits my tongue. Anyways, enough about me. on with the story. So there's no loud you know call out, there's no sending messages in and out, commands in and out. Like Moses is not, is not, uh, is not in control of this battle. That's what's interesting, right? A lot of a lot of leaders would be like, "Yeah, I'm going to be on the hill," but but as soon as they saw, you know, Joseph, or sorry, as soon as they saw Joshua losing, they would have started sending down different commands. Oh man, he made a mistake there. He made him okay. Listen, Aaron pass this message on to, you know, let me write something down or let me get this message down to Joshua. Tell him to send the troops over here. Listen, I've got a great vantage point. Okay, you, you know, servant, come here, quick, run this message down to Joshua. Get him to get the the, the guys on the donkeys to head this direction. Like there's on and on it goes that, that you know, Joshua could have felt very controlled by, by Moses. And instead, whenever he looked up, Moses was standing on the hill. He didn't get under you know under the radar messages from from Moses in the middle of the battle. And again, this is something that a lot of Christian leaders don't know how to do. they would they would step in, they would take control, even if a quote wasn't their job, it wasn't their event it wasn't it wasn't what they were they would say, listen, I'm well, if this thing goes south, it's my reputation, right?" It's my reputation I've heard that from so many different preachers where they say things like you don't you don't you know you don't have to uh, pay for your legacy you're paying for my legacy this is my legacy on the line. You screw up with the youth department. You do some major blunder overseas. I'm the one that's going to get in trouble. The parents are going to talk to me. The parents are the one that are going to stop paying their tithe, and that's going to be your paycheck, not mine, because I'm making sure I'm, I will always get paid. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that they threaten young leaders by saying, I'm in control. Even if you're out front, I'm in control. We don't see that with Moses. What Moses figures out is, if I, I just have to sit here. And raise my arms. And that's what Aaron, listen, Aaron and her concur with this plan. They roll a rock up under Moses. Evidently, they didn't think Moses should walk away from whatever spot he was at. So they roll a rock up. They're like, here, sit down. We'll hold your arms up. Now, I don't know if they use their hands to hold his arms up. If if the way that how, you know, when you're sitting down, maybe, maybe they just kind of stood next to him and Moses's arms kind of, interlocked with their elbows or whatever however they kept their arms up he kept them up all day which even if you're not using your strength to do so i'm sure got uncomfortable and sometimes when you're when you're in leadership and you're covering a younger leader who's doing a major event public event and there's a chance that that person doesn't come through there's a chance that your leadership is going to come under question because you put such a high responsible responsibility on such ill-prepared immature leaders unexperienced leadership you know are are in charge when you could have you could have done it there's a lot on the line here for Moses and yet he seems to be happy to sit on a rock and keep his hands in the air he seems to be happy to say, I am going to be a support role. I am going to stay in charge up here. I'm going to keep perspectives. I mean, I don't know what Moses would have done if they lost. I really don't. Would he have run? I have no idea. What's the plan? You can say, well, God God stepped in and, and he was mad at the Amalekites. And so he forced them to lose so that he could kill them all because he's a just God and he's a righteous God and he would never let his people be denied the victory that is theirs because the Amalekites worshiped idols and they all deserve to die. Yep, well, you may feel that way. You really you really do. And, and I, I, I've been over it before. I understand where that theology comes from. I truly do. Uh, But I don't think that's how God operates. I don't think he was making the Amalekites lose. I think the worship, the position of worship that Moses took opened the door, opened the door for love to overcome hate. It brought light to darkness, and darkness had to run. And when, when, the, when the heart or the position of worship was not in play by the one in leadership, if Moses had shifted from a position of worship to a position of control, then he would have reaped the benefits of that control, and I have little doubt they would have lost the Amalekites. And they would have had to reap whatever that was. Moses stayed quiet so Joshua could succeed with with Joshua's army against the enemy. They didn't, uh, you know, do anything in the battle to constantly give credit back to Moses. They didn't. They didn't. Many times, you know, leaders would be like, "Listen, you you can do all the work, but in the end, I'm going to take credit for that." Now in a small sense I had that happen once not once but I'll just give you one example I had to help him multiple times but I, ha- I came up with the the Lord just gave me a really great idea for an outreach and we went and did the outreach and it was honestly spectacular it went so so well And it was probably several months later the pastor that I was working under was in a in a group setting and he stood there with a microphone and he told everyone how he came up with this great idea for an outreach and how well it went, and I sat there dumbfounded. I, be, because I thought he was different. I thought he was a different type of leader, but he wasn't. He was the same hierarchical master that I had served many other times. So, in the end, I was not offended. I just I, in the moment I was just surprised. I was like, wait a minute, no, I, he didn't know that was all. That was all me. And then the Lord's like, really, you're going to take credit? I was like, no, I don't need to take credit, but I I am surprised. And he was like, yeah, well, I'm surprised too. But that was his choice to take credit for things that aren't his. It's your choice whether or not to be offended. I chose not to be offended, but that doesn't make me better or anything. I'm just saying in the end, it is what it is. But in the moment, in a small illustration of what's going on here with Moses, Moses didn't take credit for any of this, and he didn't demand credit from Joshua. Joshua didn't have to write down in the books, hey, uh, this was all Moses's idea, or Moses was a wonderful leader. It says, write this down in the book to be remembered, to make sure that Joshua hears it, to make sure he gets credit for it. I want everyone to know. And Moses wrote that down. Moses wrote this whole account. He could have easily taken credit for this because he was writing it down. So is God promising death and extermination to this people group? No. No. I believe God is making clear that their philosophy of leadership, the fact that they've opened themselves up to the enemy, the fear, the hatred, the tyranny, that will lead people, and the and the, that will lead the nation and the people group whatever to extermination the wages of sin is death so yeah you could this is this is what moses did he looked at this and god's like listen if if the amalekites continue down their path they will die and moses is like god said the amalekites are going to die <laughs> did he say that Yes, he did say that. Why? Because of what the path that they're on, that's why. You say, well, Bob, that's not what it says. That's what that's just what the Bible says. It's not what the Word of God says, Bob. I know. But it is what the Word of God says because it shows us Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect picture of the Father. So when we look at something like this, what do we know about sin? The sin comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What do we know about the Amalekites? They are in the the midst of a very sinful leadership group. And if they continue down that path, God says, yeah, they're going to be completely wiped out. The The other thing that he's saying is the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. We think that that means battles upon battles upon battles but what is he really at war against he's against the it's it's the battle of light and darkness it's the battle of love and fear and how is their nation going to be wiped out because ideally the nation of the israelites is going to grow to influence the world to such a point that they all walk away from their ways of fear and manipulation and control and, it, and in essence, their culture completely wiped out in exchange for the culture of heaven. It, this is about love and fear. This is about freedom and control. This is about light and darkness. And the raging against that that nation and the nations that that embrace those things will continue. God always brings life. Always. And that's what I you know that when I look at this and it comes to the family battles right what was going on here one side of the family wanted to bring death should Joshua had gone to war listen that choice was Moses's choice we went over that he didn't go to God and say hey what do you want me to do with this he's like all right Moses or Joshua choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hands he's like listen I've made a decision. We're going to war. And they did. And God's like, all right, well, if that's what you're going to do, listen, I'm still going to be good. I'm not leaving you. I'm not walking away from you. You worship me, it's going to release light. When you release light, it it wins over darkness. This is how we win the battles. We don't do it with spears and swords and, and knives and arrows. And you're like, well, we did. Yeah, that was you. That's okay. Not my way. It's not the ways of the kingdom. All right. Man, that's a lot to think about. That's a lot to think about, Bob. I know. It's pretty it's a radical change. Wait, just wait. There is more to come in the book of Exodus. We are really diving in deep. If this is your first season of the epic narrative, you've got a lot to chew on before next week when we continue again here on the epic narrative podcast don't go anywhere we've got Bob thoughts. Hey everyone here's some thoughts for you. I know we, we took a, a bit of a break over the uh, over the holidays mostly because I I thought a lot of times people have said in the past past couple of years, that if if we keep running every Monday, which we could do, with the story, they fall behind because it's the holidays and they're out of their regular schedule, the kids are home from school, all that sort of thing. So we did take a break. I know uh, technically uh, that was a few weeks ago and we're on the rhythm, but I just wanted you to know uh, I do these Bob thoughts a couple weeks in advance and uh, this is the first one I'm doing since we've started back with... Uh, regularly scheduled programming so <laughs> I hope every, everything is okay. Uh, and and I just uh, I also wanted to start getting my sermons off of the various churches that I've been to off of their their podcast sites and onto mine, which seemed like it would be an easy thing to do. but the uh, the wonderful world of AI was like no. No, we know this. We know this voice, and we know these words, and somebody else has already claimed them. So we had to go through this whole thing of saying, "Well, yes, the voice, and the <laughs> yes, you're right. It has been posted somewhere else on the World Wide Web, and it's still me. I just want to post them here." And basically, it just turned into way big of a, way bigger of a project than either Brian or I wanted to get into and bless Brian's heart, you know, it was supposed to make his life easier over Christmas vacation and it made it worse. So that's the story. Uh, like I said, I know it's a couple weeks late, but I do these a couple weeks in advance. Um, I also found, you know, when I listened to this last episode, I was like, I, I, I must've been super relaxed. Like it just sounded like I was, <laughs> to me, I sounded very chill. Uh, and and talk slow, and and, um, I've heard it said, and honestly, I agree, I I sound better at a faster speed, so if you listen to this at double time, like, that makes perfect sense to me. When I listen back, double time actually sounds like a normal conversation, and so (laughs) feel free to speed things up. Uh, but I hope you kind of caught just in today's episode the complicated life that people, uh, family brings. It just does. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just complicates things. And I don't know when the Amalekites decided to take on Israel. I really don't. I hope you can come up with a, your own imagination as to what was motivating them to take on Israelites at this time. I, I, I think it was multi multi-layered and... and uh, you know again the humility of, of Moses as a leader just really struck me as pretty amazing that he would really give all the credit and not only responsibility and authority but also credit to Joshua when he easily could have stepped in and said hey i'm i'm the i'm the dude in charge like you're working for me and this is i get i get the credit and you get some of it you know i'll i'll pass some off to you but uh, you know it he's He's just an amazing leader in that sense and I hope you captured that as well uh, and then lastly you know i I do think there was a there was a shifting of Moses away from what I would consider the heart of God with his plan to take over um the promised land to um just a confidence. I think Moses grew in his confidence and in his awareness of God's voice and, and, and character. He was like, okay, uh, God's got my back on this. And he decided, I think, somewhere in here that war was probably the only way to get this done and get it done uh, well, get it done quickly. Um, and we'll see that continue. We'll see that continue Uh uh, right through Exodus, and honestly, you'll see it continue into next season. Um, we're going to just deal with the last three books, uh, season four, three books uh, of the Pentateuch. But you'll just see this, this constant theme of we're going to go to battle, we're going to go to battle And uh, you'll see that in God's uh, freedom and and love giving, trusting, freedom, loving God that he is, uh, you know, he's gonna back you on those decisions as far as that goes. Like he's not gonna beat you up uh, and he's not going to um, replace you and be like, well, you made a bad choice. Uh, But if if that's the route that you choose, you reap what you sow. Yeah, It's complicated, I know, and I don't have all the answers, but we will discover them together. Keep this up. See you next week on the Epic Narrative.